Good evening, everybody. Welcome. No matter what time I say it is, actually, because on the other side of the pond where our friend Chief Falenko is, it is still very much early in the day, right here in the UK at 6 pm. So that makes it midday where you are, Chief. Is that right? It's, yeah, it's actually noon. Yeah, noon. Okay. Yeah. Um, so welcome to the podcast again. As I said, we're in conversation with Chief Falenko from Round Lake Park. Lake County, Illinois, all the way on the other side of the pond. Welcome, Chief. Thanks for joining me again. Thank you for having me again. Obviously, we were talking a little bit about it off air. Um, I did watch the game last night. It was on at like 2 a.m. UK time, so I'm sure you don't want to talk too much about it uh, based on the the scoreline. No, no. We're, We're... We're in mourning right now, so uh, yeah, not a good thing to talk yeah. about. Uh, I, ha- I have to say, just real quick, I know I've mentioned to you before about the game that I love, which is Rugby League. Um, my team is called Leeds Rhinos. Um, they're very similar sports, as I said to you before, so I've got on really well with, which, with watching your version of football, um, and I actually I really like it, um, and I think I said last week that the Bears are coming to Wembley yes. uh, in October. Yes. So they're playing the, is it Oakland Raiders? Oakland Raiders, yeah. Right. So, yeah, I'm hoping to get tickets and, and go see it for myself. Hopefully it'll be a better scoreline for the Bears. And you know what? Hopefully by that time you'll have a really good understanding of football, its strategy. Uh, I know you were texting me a lot of questions last night. It's really <laughs> difficult to watch the game yeah. and answer your questions. So uh, hopefully a lot... Yeah. By the time the game comes around, you're going to be an expert at football, a strategist. Yeah, I've got, I've got some games um, already set to record because, uh, like I said, they're on at like 2, 3 a.m. over here. So I'll record them and watch them like the day after or whatever. So Excellent. hopefully I'll be well-versed. Yeah, but thanks for your help with it anyway. You're welcome. So um, back to the uh, podcast itself, and you've got a different, slightly different approach this time round. I'll, I'll give it give the reins to you in a second and let you explain explain to our audience on how you want to approach this one um i did just want to point out um obviously we announced in the last episode that we now have the chiefvelinco.co.uk website um that's up and running and i know that you're going to be posting some blog entries to it as time goes on we also have ask.chiefvelinco.co.uk which is a, a microsite where you know our audience can go and ask questions to you Whilst we've been developing that, I've been putting posts on Instagram and, and asking our followers to, you know, give us any questions. So uh, there was a mad flurry of questions sent in today. Um, so Excellent. whilst you're explaining the case details, um, I'll I'll get those questions out, and you know, I'll either ask them as we progress through the cases, if it kind of if the situation presents itself, or. Um, I'll ask you them at the end. We'll go through them real quick and just give some shout-outs as well. Is that right? Yep. Lovely. All right, so do you want to just take us through what your format is for this particular episode, um, what what the cases are and, and how you want to approach it? So, uh, you know, the first case I'm going to go over is one that happened back in 1995, and that's when I first made my, my way up to Lake County, um, and it was uh, kind of the Wild West up here. Uh, and it's a... Pretty interesting case. Uh, I'm not going to give you away, give away anything about the case. Uh, it takes away from the ending. Yeah. Uh, the second thing that we had talked about is the second case I'm going to go over 
Um, and I, I know I got some feedback about the episodes that we just did, uh, the three uh, murder, suicide, or, you know, uh, other. whatever. Mm. Other. Yeah. Um, so the I'm not going to give away the conclusion of the second case, and we're going to leave that for our next episode. And I'd like maybe the viewers to analyze this thing as much as possible. And let's not cheat. Actually, I'm going to probably make it a little difficult for you. I'm not going to give away names at all, so you can't Google this thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you're clever enough, you probably could. But you know what? Try to figure it out on your own. Yeah. Because it is a, a, a truly interesting case. It will take away all the fun of, of actually getting involved with this kind of thing if people start Googling it anyway. So I think we'll we'll hope that people just won't do that anyway. But that does sound like a really interest, interesting format, so carry on. Okay. So this first case, it, it happened, like I said, in the summer of the July of, of 1995. Uh, and I had just started up in this area working for a, a, a pretty small police department called the Village of Hainesville. Uh, to tell you how uh, small this place was, it was strictly a part-time police department. Uh, back then, there were really no regulatory standards for, for part-time policing. Uh, Lake County was kind of coming into its own. Uh, a lot of professional police officers were coming up into Lake County from a bordering county called Cook, which is where County, Chicago yeah. is in Cook yeah. County. Yeah. So uh, policing was getting standardized. We, we had a sheriff that came from Cook County, uh, Gary Del Rey, uh, extremely uh, professional uh, sheriff who, who really brought the county into its own along with one of my mentors, uh, Chief Ray Rose, who eventually went on to become the undersheriff. So I was kind of new. I really didn't know. Uh, I didn't have a good feel for everything and uh, kind of got thrown into uh, the not the middle of this, but actually did a little work on this, but it gave me some really uh, interesting insight as to what certain parts of Lake County were about and how kind of strange, you know, it's probably one of the first uh, strange but true events uh, <laughs> I encountered uh, as a police officer in Lake County. Okay. So here are the circumstances. Um, trains go through, we have a railroad system uh, that really goes through all, all sorts of, all portions of the county, uh, and they accommodate both regular transport rail, where you've got these massive, you know, two-mile-long trains. During the day, it's mostly commuter traffic, metro trains, but in the middle of the night, generally, it's transport. Um, so this is the middle of the night, uh, probably about, I'd say, 1 a.m. in the morning or so, uh, and it's in a rather remote area where this occurs, the engineer in this train uh, immediately stops this train because he believes he's hit something. Uh, and he actually thinks he's hit a person. And uh, the protocol for trains, no matter whether they're commuter or regular, immediately stop. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, to, to stop a train like that, uh, it's it's not a hit the brakes and slam out because you're going to have a derailment. So it's a slow process. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, of course, uh, back then, which we don't have anymore, if you've ever heard of the term caboose, that's the the last. I've heard of it. But... Uh, yeah, it's kind of it's an old fashioned system that still existed back then, where it's a a car that's the last car in the train itself, and oh, okay. usually there's there's somebody on there kind of watching, right? Um, and you got the engineer uh, up at the front, mm -hmm. 
So the standard procedure would be to stop the train and then start walking both sides of the rails. Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, what they come up on is a, uh, is a body. Uh, immediately they contact the authorities, they contact their, uh, you know, their dispatcher, mm -hmm. um, and a response begins. Now, in the middle of the night, in what was then still kind of a remote area with not a lot of things going on, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of shared radio frequencies by uh, police departments, mm -hmm. You're going to get every cop probably within 10 or 15 miles responding just to look. Right, okay. Uh, okay, good for training, bad for maintaining the sanctity. You yeah. know, we talk about a crime scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not exactly sure how many cops responded, but I, I understand there were quite a number of them. Uh, and again, protocol uh, dictates that the coroner's office is notified. Right. Um, so they come out. They pick up the remains. Uh, in this case, uh, there there was some uh, decapitation, so you're looking for body parts and things like that. Okay. Uh, in a lot of train, just as a, a matter of information, uh, I've been to a lot of uh, train versus uh, we call it pedestrian, yeah. uh, where the body is completely intact um, because the impact of the train was so quick. And so precise that all it does is it hits its soul at such a fast rate that the body just impacts onto the train and, yeah, and but it just, just kind of walk. bounces off, kind of launches, like, yeah. right? But unfortunately, of course, almost every single bone is broken, Shattered. but it's mm. contained, mm. you know, so it's not unusual to see a body completely intact. Um, Another matter of reference, I went to an autopsy one time in Cook County at the medical examiner's office and was part of a training class. Yeah. And they had happened to bring in an individual, uh, and the pathologist was quite good because uh, she actually uh, let us participate, not in the autopsy, but in questions and answers. She'd ask us questions. Well, what do you think? Okay. What do you think? That's good. So this gentleman was, you know, hit by a train in Chicago, and... She asked straight out, what do you, what does anybody in here think happened? It was this uh, accidental mm. or is this a suicide? And we're like, well, you know, how could you possibly tell? Mm. You know, I mean, give, you know, so everybody kind of guessed, whatever. And it was just strictly guessing. Yeah. Well, interesting enough, what she says, look at the hands. And the hands were, and I, they were like this. The body was intact, but the hands were like this. Okay. Okay. So, what does that indicate? Um, let me just point out for our listeners, uh, because obviously they're not going to be able to see us. Uh, and we're doing this on, on FaceTime. Uh, so, okay, I'm sorry. So, I just want to yeah. um, point out, it's almost <clears throat> as though, how would you describe that? <laughs> um, so, if you were to hold the hands in front of you, let's say your chest, your fingertips and your wrists would be bent and your fingertips would be pointing down. Right, Okay. So almost like you're holding okay. something with your with your fingers, but you're trying to hold your arms as close to your chest as possible, um, and, the, and the fingers are pointing south to the ground. Okay. Correct. Um, All right. So as it was explained to me, that she was going to rule this as an accidental death. What she explained was, if this was a suicide, no matter what, your your brain takes over your bodily functions 
in any type of a fight or flight or crisis situation. Mm -hmm. So if this was a suicide, the hands would have been pointing straight up. Because no matter what, instinctively, you instinctively you would have looked at that train and blocked yeah, it. Yeah. Now, if it was accidental, you wouldn't have had time to raise your hands. It would have been so right, quick. Right. Okay. So the hands. So pretty interesting. With the hands pointing down, show that it wasn't. Um, it wasn't a situation where they had any time to react to it. It was just boom, done. It was an accident. It was quick. You know, probably trying to cross the tracks yeah. and heard something turn, didn't even have a chance to right. react. Where on a suicide, you're going to be standing on the tracks waiting. Yeah, yeah. And chances are you're probably going to be looking to see when it's coming. And trains are, depending on the angle, the the light, very unpredictable on how fast they're going. Or, or yeah. you know, we've had cars hit by trains where somebody's trying to beat it. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like an optical illusion. They're making a turn and they're just not... Uh, they're not really accurately knowing how quickly that train is going from that yes. angle. It seems like it's only going 30 miles per hour, where in reality it's probably going 65 to yeah, 70. Yeah, because it's so the sheer size and scale of these things. They, yeah. Right. Okay, that right. makes So you have a lot of cars that are trying to beat yeah, the gates, yeah. and they wind up uh, on, the, on the bad side of a yeah. train. So. so now we've got this body. And the coroner shows up, uh, takes the body. Uh, they do an autopsy uh, pretty much that morning, and they determine that there's a high concentration of alcohol, presumptive, uh, in the system. Uh, I think they came up with a number of like 0.22 or 0.24. 0.08 right now is uh, the legal standard for intoxication. So we're talking almost what triple. Yeah. It, so. Yeah. Uh, a substantial alcohol content, mm. and then there were some drugs. Drugs also presumptive okay. testing for that. So the the pathologist, based on what uh, they found at the scene, what they saw, uh, the autopsy rules this a suicide. Okay, right. uh, nothing to do with the hands. So let's just discount that sure. because remember this thing. Uh, you know, the body itself just uh, was it was in pieces. There were pieces all on the railroad tracks, and it's one of the nastier parts of being a coroner's uh, assistant or, or a deputy investigator and a cop. Mm. Uh, you got to, you know... You're going to witness you some pretty up, stuff, right? Yeah, you know, you're figuring, picking up hands and fingers yeah. and uh, bones. Uh, there's also uh, brain matter. Uh, that's usually uh, on the front of the train, uh, all sorts of It's crazy to think stuff. as a civilian that there are people out there like yourself and, you know, the, the rest of your department who do that stuff on a regular basis. It's... Yeah, you know what? And I hate to say you desensitize yourself, but you kind of step outside of yourself and you go, look, this is my job. I'm not going to really focus on this as an individual I know or, or whatever. Mm. I'm just doing my job and we just got to move past this and go on to the next yeah. thing. So they take the body back, like I said, to the coroner's office. Cor- or The pathologist makes a ruling uh, or says that this is uh, a suicide. The coroner signs off on the death certificate, I believe, saying that this is a suicide caused by, of course, a train uh, a, a trauma uh, caused by a, a yeah. train. Um. Apparently, this gentleman had relatives outside the state of Illinois, and I believe in Wisconsin. Okay. And they made arrangements to have the body taken by train 
uh, to Wisconsin. So uh, usually that's done through a local funeral home. They come out, they do what they need to do, put the casket on a train and let it yeah. go. So uh, this is all happening within a couple of days of the, the event itself. So one of my, or I shouldn't say one of my officers, one of my co-workers at that time yeah. was a former uh, Northwest Suburban police officer. Uh, I won't mention his name because he, did, he didn't quite leave his former agency under the best of circumstances. It was nothing criminal. It was just personnel-related issues. But nevertheless, he was still a pretty good sure. guy. Okay. And, he, and, he, and he was very tenacious and uh, almost to the point where he would aggravate a lot of people. Okay. Um, Kind of one of these guys where, you know, he knew it all, he'd seen it all, and you guys are just a bunch of, uh, you know, yahoos <laughs> out here who don't know what yeah. you're doing. Well, okay, that's that's fine. So he decided to go back, um, I believe, a day or so later when he came on shift, on his own, um, to take a look at the scene. So he gets to the tracks, and he finds the exact spot where it occurred because railroad tracks... Uh, and I believe probably the same in, in the UK and more rural areas have stones. Yes. That like kind of boulders, align the track. kind of things, yeah. Boulders mm. or large stone. yeah. So he finds the exact spot of impact because there's blood, okay. right? Um, and he just stands there and he looks across the tracks. Uh, and this is probably about 4 o'clock or so in the afternoon. So the sun is steadily making its way to the west at a certain angle. And what he's seeing in front of him is a, a field that's kind of a wild field. It probably was a farm field, but it grew over what, what we call tall grass that's usually anywhere from four to five feet okay. high if nobody ma maintains sure. it. Um, immediately what he notices is that right across from where he's standing, the grass is parted as if somebody had walked through okay. there. Okay. Doesn't think too much of it because remember that the the night of you've got I don't know how many police officers, firefighters, on the right, and even railroad personnel, and it could have been something as simple as they were still looking for body parts. Sure. Yeah, uh, you know that type of impact, anything is yeah. possible when the body, ex yeah. So, but he decided, you know, I'm just going to take a walk and see what's on the other side of this tall grass. Because mm -hmm. where he was standing, he couldn't really mm -hmm. see. As he's walking along, and he eventually comes to a more flattened area uh, of this field. And what he immediately, he notices as he's walking a, a glimmer of something bright out the corner of his mm -hmm. eye. And he looks again, and he sees something laying uh, halfway in the tall grass, kind of in, in an area, you know, that you probably wouldn't have seen this if the sun wasn't pointing exactly yeah, at it at that time. Yeah, it had to be just right. What it, just mm. right. So, remember, we always say a lot of this stuff is luck, mm. and a lot of it is tenacity, mm. you know, attention to detail. Yep. He goes over to where he sees this, and he picks it up, and it's a pack of empty cigarettes, so, you know, the top of the cigarette pack itself is foil. Yeah, yeah. Right? Uh, he also can tell that the cigarette pack is fairly new because if it had been out there for a while, obviously rain and other weather conditions would have probably, uh, you know... It would be weathered. Ruined mm -hmm. the paper. It would be. You know, the plastic would turn yellow, yeah. the paper would crinkle, whatever. This was not. It was Almost fresh. Brand new. As if somebody had just crinkled it and threw it off to the side within... Could have been hours, could have been the last day or right. two, because it hadn't rained since 
the occurrence on okay. the tracks. So he picks this up and you know how the paper portion of it is inserted in the plastic, yes. right? In the plastic, between the plastic and the paper is inserted, there's a, a piece of paper, some kind of document in there. He pulls it out. It's a, a parking ticket. Okay. A paper parking ticket that's folded. Okay. Okay. He pulls it out, and it's actually one of our parking tickets from the village we work right. at, uh, dated from a week or two ago. And there's a name on it. And the name is of an individual that is tied to the victim. In fact, his best oh, friend. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. And they determine that when they start talking to people, uh, when they do some kind of a cursory victimology. Mm -hmm. So these two have been best friends for 10, 15 years or so. Okay. Um, he also notices about 20, I'd say maybe 40 yards away from him, there's a, a wooded area that appears to be some kind of a pseudo campsite. So he makes his way over there and he finds out, yeah, there's a campsite too. Um, he finds more uh, material that would identify or link it to both of these gentlemen, okay. uh, the, vi the victim uh, and the gentleman on, on the mm -hmm. ticket. Uh, also notices that there's, there's a manufacturer we call ball jars. They're actually jars that are used for, you know, uh, Pick, making you know pickles and whatever yeah. uh, screw, glass screw jars kind of thing. exactly right right um and inside the jar he finds uh i believe uh, residue that was uh tested positive for cocaine actually later on we determined it's crack cocaine but it's just residue right. so okay um ah uh, this is kind of unusual yeah. here what's yeah. going on right so he contacts um his, his superior, who in turn contacts the sheriff's office, and the sheriff's office is now brought in to take over the investigation. Uh, they've got skilled investigators. The task force still uh, has not been uh, formed. Yeah. So the sheriff's office was heavily, heavily relied on as well as the state Was police. that just um, specifically <clears throat> a, a resources thing then, rather than a jurisdictional? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the sheriff, the sheriff's office is uh, the primary law enforcement agency in every county, and they're usually the default uh, agency to render aid and assistance. Right. So let's see. Worst case scenario, uh, we had a, a disastrous event in our town where, let's say, every police officer came down with an illness, whatever. The sheriff, by request could or would step in. Mm, in the yeah. event that a local agency uh, couldn't provide certain types of services, they still do. They help tremendously with uh, all sorts of things. We use them as a resource. They're the largest law enforcement agency in the county. They have pretty much unlimited resources and they're very uh, genuinely, uh, uh, they're genuinely committed to helping uh, smaller agencies in need at, at request. Okay. okay. So, the sheriff's office uh, puts two of their detectives who actually, down the road, it was funny how things work out. Uh, one of the detectives and I became very, very close friends about 10 or 15 years later. All right. um, yeah, we didn't even, you know what, I didn't even realize he was a detective on this case until we started talking one time at lunch. <laughs> and I'm like, you're kidding. You're telling the same, so, same story kind of thing. Right. right. 
It was ironic, yeah, yeah. you know, it's just a matter of how you run into people like that. So, uh, while the detectives are, are being assigned to this, uh, this, this officer and a couple of our other officers decide they're going to go out and do some canvassing. Uh, and what they find out is they set up a, a very rudimental timeline. There's some liquor, liquor stores and liquor establishments in the area that are very familiar with both of these guys. Okay. Uh, the, one, uh, the, the one who was hit by the train and the other one who had a ticket, right? So what, what they're telling us is that both of these guys had been seen early on that day before the train accident. Uh, drinking early in the morning already. I mean, and it appears that they were drinking and doing whatever, uh, taking drugs the entire day, Mm. entire day. They're, they were just partying, partying, partying. Uh, also found out that, yeah, uh, that's where they camp out periodically. And as it turns out, the campground more was a drug storage area. Uh Uh, we found, some drugs out there. We started pretty much uh, at one point excavating. We were digging it up uh, to see what else was out there. And it was like an Indiana Jones type of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, we found some more ball jars with crack cocaine in it. So right. they're either buying crack uh, for personal use and selling, you know, kind of the turnaround. I want to sell it, make money by my own. Yeah. Uh, but they were hiding it by burying the jars in the ground. Uh, I don't really know to this day whether we recovered everything. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of a side story that these guys were in business together, mm. uh, and they were, they were best friends and uh, drinking buddies. So, um, you know, the detectives come in, and we give them all this information. They're like, okay, well, first things first. <laughs> now this is turning into a, uh, a criminal investigation potentially we need the body back mm, of course yeah right so there's an immediate uh contact made uh i'm not sure what authority they contacted but that casket and the remains were turned around and shipped back to lake county to the coroner's yeah, you office. said that they were on a train on the on the way to wherever the family were right so whatever right. was yeah whatever call was put in that train was stopped or turned around or whatever right and, right yeah. So, you know, a couple problems there. I mean, there's already been an autopsy performed, which is a good thing. So there's a matter of record um, and probably the toxicology results. I don't know what the turnaround time was back then. Mm-hmm. I would assume 15 to 30 days. I'm not sure. Yeah. Uh, could have been lengthier because maybe the technology wasn't quite as good as it is now. Yeah. The casket comes back. Problem is, what happens when uh, the funeral home handles the body? Dress the body. Dress the body. And, they, um, they put in, uh, is, it, uh, is it formaldehyde or? Uh, from, formaldehyde, I think. Yeah. Was, yeah. So. Like a pre, uh, preserve. And to preserve the body. Away from, right. Yeah. So anything other than the organs, and sometimes the organs, you know, and, and I want to get grotesque, uh, in an yeah. accident like this are just packaged separately within the coffin. Oh, right. That's why you have a closed casket in, a, in these cases, because. All the remains are buried, but they're not necessarily, you know, Together. in the body. The they could be. They could be sewn into the body or, you know, you just be in the casket. Oh, right. Yeah. I genuinely wasn't aware that it was well, quite like that. Well, if okay. you think about it, I mean, you, you have to bury all the remains. Um, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, the decedent, you know, slash victim is brought back. 
uh, and, and held. Now, um, the gentleman whose ticket was found, um, he is located and brought in for questioning. And uh, initially, he's questioned by one of the detectives from the local agency. He just does a cursory type of confirming that you knew this this guy. What was your relationship? Then yeah. the uh, Lake County detectives come in and they do a more um, they do a more organized and thorough interview slash interrogation. Uh, Miranda audio tape. Yeah. And they start talking to this gentleman, and eventually, uh, as we, we put it in our terms, he gives it up. And this is the story. So apparently these two, again, are best friends, uh, party together, uh, camp out together. Uh, the, they're acquainted, I believe, with one of the families. Uh, I don't think there's any nexus between two families. And... They're partying all day, and we all know what uh, a combination of alcohol and uh, drugs or anything can do, especially in an mm. all-day binge. Anything's possible. Your mind's not kicking on all you know cylinders. Uh, mm. As they're walking back to this campsite in the middle of the night, they begin an argument over something very trivial. Right. And it becomes heated. Okay. To the point where now they're pushing, shoving, exchanging insults, and they're they're going to go at it, right? Mm-hmm. So at one point, the gentleman who's hit by the train eventually looks at the other gentleman. He goes, oh, yeah? Well, I've been having a relationship or sex with your mother for the last nine years. Oh, wow. And actually, that turns out to be the truth. Wow. So well, that's going to make things so, escalate, I can imagine. Well, this guy uh, whose mother, this other guy, has been having a relationship with gets so enraged, he picks up a, a tree limb, a stump, yeah, and just like a baseball swing, hits this guy in the head and knocks him down. Right. Now, this is... Uh, dark, mm. no lighting whatsoever, because we're out in a, in, in a field. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he's got no flashlight, so he's kind of looking. He thinks he killed this guy. Right. Um, so now he's in panic mode. Mm. And, of course, he's not thinking straight. Yeah, because, he's been drinking, he's on whatever. Yeah, he's, he's whatever. Um, he takes the body, drags it, because uh, they're near the railroad tracks, and puts the head onto the rail. Wow. Okay. Um, knowing eventually that a train's going to come down yeah. the tracks. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, uh, not too much soon or later after he does this, train comes over and just kaboom, hits the body. So he, he's clearly boom. done that to, to what? To, to hide the, the scene? He, to, thinks, to he it, thinks he's already killed him. Right. So he wants to make it look... Right. So he wants to make it look either a, an accident or a suicide. Right. Right. Now, you know, I don't even think he was smart enough to understand that you could tell that obviously this isn't going to be uh, an accident. I mean, who puts their head down on a railroad trestle? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, but, you know, clearly he almost got away with it because 
Yeah, the, the, the first decision that was made was that it what? was uh, accidental, right? Right, right. So if it had not been for that officer's tenacity, hmm. uh, the sun, you know, time of day, uh, hmm. the weather conditions, clear, the sparkle of the aluminum or the tin, the foil and the cigarettes, the the possibility of a ticket being inside that pack. With the name on it as well. With the name on it <laughs> and the data was issued. I mean, I mean, how much more bad luck could yeah, this right, guy yeah. this guy have? Mm. I mean, you're talking. I mean, this is beyond circumstantial evidence. I mean, this is yeah, shit that. I mean, this is shit that you couldn't stage. It it was you yeah, know, just there for the picking. Yeah, yeah. Um, and any admission, the confession, whatever, and it just puts more you know topping on the cake. Mm. So uh, this guy gets convicted of first degree murder, and he's sentenced to forty five years. So this is nineteen ninety five. I just went on the Illinois Department of Corrections site this morning, and he's still in there for first degree murder amongst a slew of other charges. Um, there was From an appeal incident. Um, I think different incidents, but some right. of them are li linked to this too. Um, okay. he, I, there may have been a warrant for his arrest on some other incidents. I'm not sure, but it looks okay. like there are a lot of charges on him. Uh, and who knows? He may have picked up some charges in prison. You know, yeah. they, you know, crime occurs in prison and then, you know, whatever. But yeah. um, there is an appeal on this case uh, and the appellate court knocks it down and says, no, no grounds here to overturn the conviction. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was pretty much the end of it. And I think what they were trying, the appeal was based on a confession, uh, which usually it's either, like I said in the past, appeals are based on evidentiary, which is a confession. Yeah. Uh, either evidence wasn't presented, evidence wasn't handled correctly, um, or there was an inefficient defense. They'll challenge right. the, okay. the defense attorney yeah. saying, you know, this guy did not put up a, a good enough defense That's strategy. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, we need a new trial. So interesting story. And that was my first exposure to kind of the, the craziness that, that goes on out there. And, you know, a lesson learned by me that, uh, again, as much as they tell you in homicide uh, training, never assume a death in front of you yeah. is natural. Mm. Uh or anything else, uh, take it a worst case scenario and work that way. You always say to me, don't get tunnel vision. Like I'm, I'm Do usually not. quite hot headed with it. Being a civilian, I know not very much about how to investigate a, a crime, let alone a murder, but you're always like, yeah, no, you can't get tunnel vision like that. You have to be open to every possibility, right? So. Correct. And here, you know, here's another thing that, you know, I don't think we've got over this is, uh, you know, my team, the task force was divided up into two units. We've talked about that. So you've got your crime scene investigators, the evidence technicians, and you mm -hmm. have your investigators. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you don't want to do is you do not want to, uh, as a crime scene investigator, an evidence technician, uh, rely on theory from the investigators. Right. Because that could skew your evidence. You could tunnel yeah. vision. See what I'm saying? So you you want them to stay away from you. And all you're doing is you're collecting evidence. Yeah. Okay. And, and it's a piece of the puzzle. And it's very neutral. Mm -hmm. And then you're handing 
the evidence and the facts from the evidence over to the investigators. Now they can start putting together uh, theory, theory along with evidence. With evidence, right, exactly, yeah. Right. And you don't want you don't their want to... theories tainting your methodology or Correct. your approach, whatever, yeah. Right, right. I was an evidence technician. I mean, every detective that's on the task force uh, is, a certif- was a, or is a certified evidence te- technician or should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was our standard. Um, and I understood from doing evidence collection at crime scenes in, in my own agency that you want everybody to stay away from you. Mm. Do not interfere with what I'm doing. Uh, do not, I mean, and you see this periodically with newer officers walking up and saying, well, you know, I just talked to this guy and he says that he thinks this happened. Well, you know, I mean, mm. if you're a, a new evidence technician, it could skew your judgment. Yeah, big time. You don't, you don't want that. You want no contact with them. You mm. simply collect all the scientific evidence, mm. and then you put it, put it together. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Okay. The only time we would ask in a briefing and say, if we had a question about the evidence itself, you know, okay, where did you locate that? And, okay. you know, that type of thing. Or yeah. can you go into more detail of exactly what that is? Or ha- what position it was in, something like that. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. We had a, we had a murder case, and we'll go over this one later on, where uh, a key break in the evidence was uh, a little bit of water at the bottom of a um, washing machine, just residue. Okay. And the evidence technicians had enough uh, foresight to scoop that water up and collect it and have it tested. And looking at the water, you don't see any blood. Oh, but the... Testing at the lab, it came up with a complete DNA hit on the victim. No way. Wait, just a little scoop of water. Wow. And they went a step further. They also went to the sink. And, you know, sinks have uh, catch pipes. So in case you yeah, drop a... Yeah, you right, kind of... Yeah. Correct. And they scooped out of there as well. And the catch pipes are usually clogged with debris. You know, you'll have, you know, hair in the kitchen, you'll have uh, yeah. fruit, you know. Any like, kind of foreign body that shouldn't be there, basically. Right. Yeah. Well, they scooped all that up and had a test in, and lo and behold, what the fuck? DNA. No way. That's <laughs> yeah, so way. cool. Yeah, so attention to detail. Yeah, Don't overlook yeah. anything. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing you learn with evidence, there are no do-overs. Yeah. Once you release that scene... Mm. That scene is released. You cannot go back and start redoing it over again because that is going to be shredded by a good de- defense attorney. Yeah, you're not going to be able to use it, are you, once this scene's been reopened? You you could in certain circumstances, but it would strictly be up to the prosecutor to say, yeah, I mean, uh, you'd have to present it in discovery. It'd have to be uh, shit but if to, so- to get it right. Well, let me, give you, let me give you an example. Like in that case, somebody came to us later and said, hey, I believe that this guy dumped the murder weapon in a sewer uh, right in front of this place. Yeah. So we'd already cleared, right? Mm-hmm. But because that information wasn't available to us before, um, it wouldn't have been tainted in the sense that we we had no idea that he had done that, nor was it possible. Right, right. We right. never found it. But if we had found it, it still would have been yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. I, okay. I think it would have been admissible. Yeah. But let me put put a flip side to that though. So let's just say the crime scene happens to be in a 
kitchen and you mm-hmm. the the ets go in and you know they do all that they need to do but they've perhaps not bagged everything that they, they could have done and then that scene is then handed back to the residents whatever and it's uh, you know we've done our investigation job done 24 hours later somebody's forgotten I don't know, there's a, a block of fucking knives or something like that on the side that, you know, needed for comparisons or whatever. But, you know, someone could have made a sandwich in that 24-hour period, right? So would that would that no. really then mess up what you do with those knives and that knife block? Or Well, okay, legally there's a couple of problems right off the bat. Um, usually when you're searching a, a, a home like that, you've got a search warrant. Mm. And a search warrant is only good for a period of time. And it's not like you, if you release the scene, that's it. Search warrant's done. Uh, okay. Right. You probably have to get a, another search warrant um, and go in unless they give you, unless, you know, they agreed and gave you consent. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that occurred and we suspected that something was overlooked, uh, I would still have them collect it. Okay. And let the prosecutors make the decision or the judge mm. whether it's going whether to be admissible be, yeah, or not. Yeah. yeah, better to play on side of caution mm. because there's no harm in taking it. And if it's not admitted, shame on us. Uh, if it is admitted, okay. So be- better to have and, and not need to use it rather than not have it all, basically, yeah. Right, right. Knives are tricky. Because remember, you can clean the, sh- uh, the the blade itself, but that's not where you're going to find the uh, the DNA or the blood. You're going to find it within the handle. Okay. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 You can't get in there and scrub that yeah, out. Good so, point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Especially in a kitchen knife. Mm. Uh, now, if it's a knife that's a military style with the protecting, where you don't cut yourself. Yeah. Um, it depends on if it's a solid knife or not. I don't know. Uh, but then again, it could be a grip. It could be a leather grip, so there could be some blood transfer onto that. You just take it, test it. You know, you know. What, one thing I've always wanted to um, bring up with you, actually, so this is the perfect time, is I've seen a lot of, like, reconstructions about where someone's being stabbed, you know, like 25 times or whatever. And um, mm-hmm. they, you know how when they're, like, let's just say when you're doing a, a canvas or whatever and you, you go to door to door and you ask questions and whatever and, and a good detective I, I guess will will usually spot that when they go to this particular house the guy's got a bandage around his around his hand mm-hmm. right so um, mm-hmm. I've, I've always no one expressly says this on TV or, or whatever you're watching it on and they never say like people are pretty dumb they don't realize that blood is very fucking slippery so when you're stabbing someone mm-hmm. repeatedly, obviously a lot of blood's going all mm-hmm. over the place, and what usually happens is right. you stab them, and your hand right. slips down the knife, and you Slips. end up cutting yourself. And so mm-hmm. you've got all sorts of, you know, uh, a cut to to mm-hmm. you know finger you or, or single you out as being yeah. the suspect. Uh, that you've then got transfer of DNA of your DNA to that blade as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but the interesting mm-hmm. thing being that. Most of these people don't realize that blood's fucking slippery. <laughs> and so, right, right. You, I mean, and, and what you described, let's say the 25 stab wounds, you know, it's obviously mm-hmm. it's going to be looked at initially as some kind of a rage crime. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. And that's why, you know, when you look at most of the military style knives, uh, you know, like the Marine Corps here carries what's called a K bar, uh, there's a protective uh, end. 
So your yeah, hand so you doesn't can't go. Yeah, ex yeah. exactly. Uh, and the other thing people don't realize too, you know, if you hit soft tissue, uh, chances are you're still going to be okay. But you know what? There's a good probability you're going to hit bone. And mm. if you hit bone, your hand's going to slide down that blade. Yeah. And you're going to get that cut. Okay. Here's the other thing. Uh, and again, I, I, I don't want to give people tips on how to murder people, but uh, <laughs> the reality of it is a knife is going to have cast off blood like crazy. Mm. So the clothing is also key. Yeah. You know, you can wash that and if, unless you're going to be using bleach, I mean, you got to be doing a pretty thorough job. In fact, that, that description they gave you of that washer, that's what they were doing, or this person was doing, it was washing clothing that had blood in it, or on it. I always find that and, so dumb, right? Surely the best thing to do right. is burn it straight away. Burn it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, but people, you know, they just, look, <laughs> uh, if, if people who committed murders were as ingenious as a lot of these movies or shows portray it, mm. we would never solve a murder. Yeah, yeah. They're not. Yes. Criminals are not as smart as... Good job they are, they dumb, always, right? Exactly. And there's a mistake, and we're going to find it. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you're a good detective, you're going to fucking find that mistake. Yeah, And yeah. even if they walk out of the interview, you know, uh, you want to make them know somehow that, you know what, you, you, fuck, you fucked up. And if it mm. takes me... 10 years, 20 years, however long it takes me, eventually, I'm going to prove you fucking did this. Yeah, have them sweating. Yeah. Sweating over it. Yeah. Live with that. Look over your shoulder for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah, yeah. But we will, we will find it. Technology is improving constantly. Mm. Uh, evidence gathering, all sorts of things. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, it's not like it was back in the 40s and 50s. Yeah. Um, so. I, I've got a, a question for you on the confession yes. as well, if you don't mind. Okay. So, mm -hmm. because you mentioned that you obviously went and picked this guy up. Now, the way that you located him was because obviously that, that tenacious cop was there, went and found the um, the cigarette packet that had the parking ticket that had his name on it. Um, but he then confessed to, to the killing. Um, how did it go from just you talking to this guy to the actual confession happening? Yeah, well, you know, again, I, I didn't play any more of a role than going around and gathering some victimology uh, evidence. I was, I was new to the department. Right, I really right, had nothing okay. to do. But, um, <clears throat> so, you know, interviewing people, especially when you have all sorts of evidence in your back pocket, um, it is, I don't want to say easy, but it, it's, it's good in the sense that you have all of this. You have this toolbox yeah. Uh, full of tools, all right? Mm -hmm. And I told you once before that I'm not a believer in lying to people yeah. or, or using some kind of trickery. Mm -hmm. uh, the two detectives, and again, I told you later on in the years years uh, going forward, I, I met one of the detectives and we became mm -hmm. close friends. Mm -hmm. He was an excellent interviewer. Okay. Um, in this case, uh, I, I didn't see the interview. I didn't hear the interview. I could probably presume the theme that they probably used in talking to him was playing on his conscience. Uh, okay. Uh, and what you do is you, you minimize, minimize the crime and provide him with a way out in the sense that, hey, you guys were fighting. You were probably defending yourself. Um, who in the hell would not get mad at somebody when you just found out he was having sex with your mother? How disgusting is that? And how inappropriate, right, you right. know, and 
See how you're nodding your head? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah, you got me. You got me. Yeah, you yeah, get the head that. nod, uh, or you get the arms that slowly fall away from the body and open mm. up. Uh, or if you leave the room, and we call it the, uh, the, the felony sleep, they'll put their head down and try to fall asleep. Mm. Uh, usually sure signs of uh, guilt. Yeah. And they're trying to distance themselves through sleep away. This is surreal. It's not really happening. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. But once I get that head bob, yeah. <laughs> you've got them. <laughs> yeah. But you got to know, too, as a, as a good interviewer, uh, some interviewers, and, and this is my take on it, they're so excited because this is their first confession that they're actually going to get it. They don't want it to stop. They just want that moment to keep going. So they, 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 they don't ask the question. And we're all in the other room watching and screaming, ask the fucking question already. <laughs> yeah. And they're too wrapped up in the whole... They're, they're so wrapped up in a moment. And, oh, my yeah. God, it, it, this is happening. I'm actually getting uh, this guy to tell me everything that happened. And yeah. we're like, you know, and then eventually you'll have to send somebody to pound down the door, <laughs> pull them out and say, just go in and ask them what they did. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. So uh, the, the guy's still inside as well. You said he got forty-five years. Still inside, years. right? Yeah, and uh, I think it was forty-five hard times. So uh, not sure if he's going to be eligible for parole anytime so that was, soon. That was ninety-five. So so it was ninety-five. He took a forty-five-year hit. He's no, been in twenty forty. Twenty forty. How long? He'd need to be in t- until twenty forty. Then wouldn't he? 2040, yeah. 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 So he's probably not even eligible for parole yet. Um, Fucked he up, was best friends as well, right? So. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how old he was when he went in, but, you know, he doesn't look good, believe me. He looks mm. aged. So the um, way that you've um, put this to the audience, obviously you've given the background, the, the, the case, um, the details around what happened, and... The question that we really want to ask the audience is, uh, oh no, sorry, sorry. No, I'm thinking no. about, I'm jumping ahead of myself because you're going to go on you to are. the next one, right? So, right. Uh, what, what, why did I get confused then? Oh yeah, because you didn't want to give the, away the details of the, uh, right. the names so, and whatnot. Okay. Yeah, what we'd like to do in this next case is, and, and I think that um, as we go along, I'm hoping that individuals were truly interested in uh crimes, uh, violent crimes, murders, start beginning to get an idea of how a detective's mind works and how these cases are investigated and how not to jump to conclusions or have tunnel vision, Mm -hmm. how to use evidence and how to look at the big picture, how to look at it globally, look at every possibility and not just try to make assumptions because we know the first three letters in the word assumption, right? Ass. So you don't want to make an ass out of yourself. Mm. Uh, so uh, I, I thought it would be interesting that uh, I go over the particulars, and I'm just going to go to generalities of this one case that actually happened in my town. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a chief of police, I was actually on the task force at the time, too. Um, and we called the task force in for assistance, uh, primarily, initially, for evidence gathering. Okay. Okay. So, if you'd like, we could jump right into this. Yeah, sure. So, is this when you were commanding the task force? Uh, no, I was a detective okay. on the task force at this time. Um, but this this happened in my town. Mm-hmm. 
And it was uh, back in the early 2000s. And it happened uh, in, in the winter. Uh, we had a report of a, uh, a structure fire at a single-family home that was just a couple of blocks away from the police department. And, you know, when you get a call like that, of course, it's all hands on deck. Yeah. Uh, anybody, anybody who's working, I happen to be there because I believe it was about 5 or 6 o'clock uh, in the evening uh, when this thing had occurred. So uh, we get the call for the house fire. Fire department gets there. I get there probably about, uh, you know what, I actually wasn't there. I was a ways away because we had been on a task force case. So it took me a few minutes to get there. By the time I get there, uh, it appears the fire's been extinguished. And what had been set on fire was a detached garage from a single family home. Okay. And this thing pretty much uh, didn't burn completely to the ground. The shell of the garage was still up, but it had sustained uh, quite amount, uh, quite a bit of amount of damage to it. Was it like a wooden structure, uh, or was it part brick? Part yeah, most of the structures there, uh, all the structures, I should say, pretty much in town are, are wood frame. Right. And then they have, you know, of course, the outer, uh, you know. Usually plastic or some kind of synthetic, yeah. uh, you know, but they're pretty much wood. <clears throat> so um, I get to the scene, and of course, fire department's got all their gear lined up. There's firemen everywhere. They're pouring water on this thing. Mm. Uh, my patrol officers are out there as well. First thing I notice is there's an ambulance parked square in the middle of the street, and there's a guy in the back of the ambulance who's being treated. Uh, looks like he's about his mid 40s or so. Uh, looks extremely upset, um, had his shirt off, uh, which, you know, again, I'm saying, you know, that's unusual. Either he ran out of the house and tried to stop the fire or he may have even been in the garage. Don't know. Yeah. So they're treating him. I decide, okay, let them do their job. I want to go see what the fire looks like. As I walk up to the fire scene, uh, one of the fire scene commanders, a Lieutenant with the fire department comes up to me, he goes, Hey chief, um, can I talk to you for a second? I'm like, sure. What's up? He goes, we had a problem. And I'm like, what's the problem? He goes, we have a torso or a body in here oh. that's burned to a crisp. We have somebody in here. And I just stopped right there mm. and said, okay, can you kind of give me a summary of what you know? Yeah. Um, and he said, well, what we know is that we got a call of a structure fire and that, a gentleman called it in, and it's the gentleman who's in the back of that ambulance. And so far, kind of what he told us was that he was in this garage, and he was working on a car, and then suddenly the garage uh, started on fire. And again, okay, and I don't know in the UK, but here, you know, garages are just storage areas. I mean, you yeah. can find everything from turpentine to mm. gasoline, to there's so many flammable All things in there. All flammable shit, yeah. It's the same, exact exactly. same over here, yeah. Yeah, so any, anything's bound to happen. It's pr um, pretty dumb if you think about it, the way people do keep their their garages, like with all these flammable well, liquids knocking yeah. about. and Exactly, and it's kind of one of those out of sight, out of mind. So, you know, yeah. I mean, you know if I don't see it, it's not going to happen. But mm. yeah, it does, you know, and including storing uh, some of these things underneath your sink. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, right. Like that are flying. Yeah, and again, I don't want to give away information, but most people probably know there's a book out there called the Anarchist Handbook. Yeah. It's very popular back in the '70s, yeah. I believe, in '80s, and pretty much it'll instruct you how to build uh, anything from a, a bomb to an incendiary device mm. to uh, how to poison somebody, and, and, and it's all uh, written around. Items that you can uh, like find in your own household stuff. Household yeah. items, yeah, exactly. So uh, he tells me that the guy being treated in the back of the ambulance, he believes is the one that called it in, and we we really don't know what happened, but we believe from what initially is being said, he was in that garage. Right. So I went to the ambulance, and the guy in the ambulance was. I mean, I, I'm sure his blood pressure was off the charts because I think they did transport him. Uh, but he was extremely uh, excitable and really couldn't provide a lot of logical information. It was all over the board. I don't know how this started. I was working on my car, you know, mm. and I don't think anybody had even told him. Or, well, let me put it this way. We didn't know if he knew there was a body in there. Or simply and simply was kind of dodging around it. Ah. Uh, yeah, so we had no clue as to what happened. Given this guy's demeanor, is it kind of like um, a, a reaction, like shock? Is that how he looks? You know, maybe adrenaline pumping or shock is set in or something like that? Right, exactly. That's, I mean, that's a good description. Adrenaline's kicked in, blood pressure's up, uh, yeah. visibly upset. Uh, so, Okay, don't assume anything, but take anything, everything into perspective. Mm. Listen to what he's, what he's saying. Mm. Uh, questioning him at that point in the back of an ambulance, you got to really be careful mm. uh, because you really don't know what you have. So doing, evaluating everything that was in front of me and everything that was told to me, I'm like, okay, this is, this is a suspicious death. This is a death mm. investigation uh, with very suspicious circumstances. Yeah, the yeah. other thing I'm told is that the initial examination by the fire department saying that there was an accelerant involved. And they're saying that because there's a pungent smell of an accelerant. Right. Which, again, it isn't uncommon in a garage. Yeah. But the way they were describing it, you say, yeah, it, it, there had to be, this thing started with, with something, whether it was gasoline, uh, kerosene, something but this guy was okay. also working on his vehicle in the garage right yeah so. oh, right he said and this is another thing that kind of was suspicious he said that he had his back to where the uh, uh fire started mm -hmm. and uh he he suddenly turned around and didn't all of a sudden he says the whole place is in flames okay okay all right well that was kind of unusual yeah, yeah. again it could be uh, caused by electrical, uh, who knows? Mm. But we got a body. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know we don't know. So in Illinois, and, and I don't know if it's in every state. Anytime there's a uh, a death involved in a fire, the state fire marshal's office is contacted, and they send uh, an investigator from their office up to work with police and fire investigators, arson investigators. Okay. Uh, so we waited for the state fire marshal to come up. Uh, in the interim, um, I asked the fire commander, because it's really their scene. 
Okay. If they would object to my calling the evidence technicians uh, from the task force to come in. Okay. And he said, absolutely, that would be fine. Call them in um, and have them start it. He goes, well, all I would ask is have them just start photographing, uh, but not really moving anything. And we wouldn't because uh, arson investigation is a whole different art form, so to speak. You know, yeah. it's, it's very, very unique. Yeah. You know, these yeah. guys are... The good, the good fire uh, investigate arson investigators. I mean, they are unbelievably great. I mean, they can tell you right down to the inch where the fire originated, mm-hmm. how it spread, why it spread. Yeah, there's you know, a, the good ones. Crazy science that goes into that stuff, isn't there? There is, mm-hmm. there is. But you know what? It, you know, the more of those cases you worked, you kind of began to understand. Uh, I mean, you really did begin to understand the science behind fires. In ignition points yeah. and what they look for. Yeah. Um, and once you kind of put your, you know, it's almost like you look through all the smolder and and, and all the soot, mm. and and you look and you go, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, I can see that that's the point of origin. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but how did it start that way? Mm-hmm. You know, was it accidental? Uh, was it intentional? Or was it other? Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. So, those are the facts that we have to work with on this case. Um, I will tell you this, and these are some things for uh, the uh, the listeners to, to absorb. The gentleman who was in the ambulance uh, lived in the home with his uh, mother, who was, I believe, in her 70s, um, and... He, they had rented a room to another gentleman who was, I believe, 80 years old or so. Um, and uh, when it came down to identifying the remains, I believe the initial identification was, and I don't know what they based it on. Usually in a case like this, it'll be dental records. Yeah. Uh, but I think the preliminary identification without releasing anything to uh, the public or, or family, or whatever it was, the gentleman who was uh, the the boarder who had rented a room in their home. Okay. 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 And that's it. That's what we had to go on at that point. All right. So, some of the questions I have is, all right, what do we do? Mm. Uh, where do we start? Mm. Uh, ultimately, the end question is going to be uh, homicide, suicide, or other. Or other, yeah. Is the guy in the ambulance, um, you know, should we be bringing he, him in? And, is he a killer? Should we, yeah. mm-hmm. Right. Should we be bringing him in and, and doing a custodial detention on him and Mirandizing him before we even talk, say another word to him? Yeah. Um, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And our next uh, time on, we're going to give you the, uh, the ultimate outcome of this case uh, which has got some twists and turns. That's all I'll tell you. So okay. whatever so, questions you have, forward them on to us. And without giving away um, the entire conclusion, I will answer the question. If it's a good question, I'm going to answer it. You know, if you're looking for a clue, I'm going to give you the clue. Okay. All right. That sounds put, good. Put yourself, yeah. in it, put yourself in our shoes. Yeah. What yeah. Do you, how are you going to approach this thing? You know, I mean... Got the guy in the ambulance. We got a, a burnt corpse in the garage. 
Uh, we made a preliminary identification. There is an accelerant involved, but you know, there's accelerants in the garage. Um, yeah, working on a car, we haven't had a chance to talk to this guy, but you know, a lot of people work on car use what blow torches too. I don't know. Mm. Right. All right. Well, listen, so just to recap then, this is a, a situation where you want the listeners to effectively step into the shoes of the detective for a day or however long it takes for, the, for them to, to work this thing out. Yeah. Um, you said you're happy to ask questions. I've, I've got a couple myself, but I think that that might, uh, that might answer too much, if, if you know what I mean. So I won't ask you anything right now on, on this particular case. No, no, you're not allowed <laughs> to ask me anything. It's, you know what, I, I want people to start, you know, I mean, it's easy enough for me to sit here and talk about all these great, interesting mm. cases. And I know I listen to some podcasts, too. And the one thing uh, that I, I, I find on there is a lot of the people that are actually talking about these cases are third party yeah. individuals. They're people who were never directly involved in the investigation. You know, it's the way I put it. They didn't they didn't smell it, touch mm. it or taste it. They were they're reading about it or they're talking to somebody who might have yeah. been there or whatever. But they're they're not physically involved right. in it or mentally, and it's a whole different world when you're there on the scene, uh, as opposed to sitting back and and I'm not knocking them because I, I think a lot of these shows are mm. very fascinating, uh, and they bring a lot of cases to the forefront that mm. should be. Um, but I think um, let's look at this as being somewhat of a a, a training exercise uh, segment, yeah. and we'll see. Well, yeah. Funnily enough, it's interesting that you put it like that as well, because when, obviously, our podcast right here, I would never have done this had it not been for your input and expertise, because, like, how how the fuck am I going to sit around talking about cases from, you know, Chicago or wherever in the world it might be, even if it was around the corner from here, I don't know anything about investigative technique and and whatever, nor do I know the details of cases intimately enough to, to warrant talking about it. That said, there's a couple of podcasts that I listen to as well where there's um, no uh, law enforcement background or knowledge or you know expertise or whatever. One in particular that I'll give a shout out to right. is Murder Dignity, which I th- think they're probably on their second podcast now. I listened to the first one last week and it's a, um, some ladies that have basically, you know, they, they talk <coughs> about the details of serial killers or, or whatever the, the murder case might be. Um, mm-hmm. I love their take on it right. because it, it's just, you know, it's people kind of chewing the fat on a, on a case. And I, I like that. I like that, that right. kind of uh, aspect, if you like. Um, but one of the angles I really wanted to take was get an expert like you to actually really get down to the nitty gritty of how these things are, are investigated, you know. And I've learned so much right. just from, from the handful of cases that we've done so far. I've learned so much and just gotten little tidbits of, of information from you that I never even would have thought of to, to begin with. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's a whole new world on, on your side of the fence. I'll, I'll say that much. Um, on this particular one, can you just give us a recap, just a, a one, one and a half minute recap of the case, just so that we know we've given everybody a kind of chronological, chronological rather, order of, of this particular case and what you think that they should be looking at. Okay. So report of a structure fire. Uh, it's cold out. It's uh, dead of winter. Fire department's on the scene. They extinguish the fire. Police are on the scene. 
Uh, I show up, first thing I notice is somebody sitting in the back of an ambulance. He's later identified as being an individual who lives in the home that's detached from this garage. Mm -hmm. Also, it, I find out that he was in the garage when the fire occurred, and he's the one who called the fire department slash police department. He called 911. Uh, we don't know at this point whether he knew that there was another individual in there or has any idea of, of somebody dying within that structure. As I'm walking to the scene, I'm pulled over uh, to the side by one of the command officers from the fire department. And he tells me, hey, we got a problem here. We've got a corpse in there that's burned. Uh, also tells me that a good possibility that this might be an arson, just based on some preliminary facts that they could smell some accelerant but not 100% sure yet, only because it is a garage, and a garage mm -hmm. contains accelerant. Mm -hmm. Preliminary identification of the remains are uh, a man who's in his 80s, I believe he was 81 years old, who rented a room at the home that's detached from this garage. Yeah. So uh, he's not a relative, he's not a homeowner, uh, and again, later on, I'll just tell you, we did confirm that that's who this was. Uh, okay. That's it. I mean, we call the state fire marshal, who's also going to come in and investigate uh, any death that occurs as a cause or related to a fire. So here's something to, here's something to ponder, okay? Mm. So, you know, a lot of people use fire to do what? Cover crimes. Yeah, yeah. Okay? I'll just leave you with that tidbit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I like it. Um, I've, I've got a question for you on the fire chief, actually. I'll, I'll come back to that momentarily. Um, what we want right now, uh, or, or what you've asked, really, of our audience now, is ask you anything uh, that they want. Ask you, you know, if they're looking for a, another clue to get to where they need to be in making a decision. Is this a murder? Is this a, a suicide? Or is this other? Um, I think the best way we can do it, obviously we can direct um, our audience to your lovely brand new ask.chiefvalenko.co.uk website uh, where they can ask uh, questions directly or um, they can also use the hashtag on Instagram and Twitter, hashtag askthechief, um, which I've been promoting in the past few days. Uh, so if you do have any questions that you want to put to the chief, please do use the, the hashtag askthechief. Um, and you can hit us up. Uh, we are in general at Murder Database, and you can also uh, mention the chief, the chief in your tweets or Instagram posts. He is on Instagram. You are at Chief underscore Murder Maps. Right. I think it's is it no, it's at Chief Falenko on Twitter, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you can use any of those mediums to ask the chief for, uh, well, not asking for another clue, but asking your questions, which will hopefully open up other clues, and give. We are kind of in an honorary capacity this week, giving you the moniker of detective for the week. So um, ask your questions, and let's see if you can drill down on on what this case actually was. Like I said, I don't want to ask you any more specific questions about this case because I, I believe it will give it away too easily. Um, but I did want to ask you just um, on the fire chief uh, side of things, is it beneficial, not just in this particular case, but generally speaking, if you go to a crime scene where there has been an arson event as well, do you find it very beneficial to have um, the fire chief there or, you know, the, the the fire department there 
in in terms of how you investigate that particular scene? Yeah. So protocol wise, if it's a fire, the fire department owns it. Right. Um, even if there's a, a death uh, caused by the fire, the fire department still owns it. Okay. They will ask us to come in um, and uh, investigate with them. Now, a lot of police departments, ours does not uh, have their own detectives trained as fire or arson investigators as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So our fire department will ask us to come in and uh parallel the investigation. Yeah, it's beneficial because, look, what do I know about fires? I can light my Weber, uh, which is a propane, uh, or I can light the stove, or I know if I put a match on my finger, it's going to burn like hell. Uh, Yeah, there's been a couple of arsons that, yeah, we've investigated successfully. Uh, And one of the things I wanted to, as a side note, arsons are one of the hardest cases to prove um, and you would think murder is no, it's arson. Mm. Very complex. I can uh, imagine, yeah. I suppose a lot of the evidence yeah. gets burnt as well, right? So well, the evidence gets burned, yeah. and you know, there's so many intangibles, and I mean, it's just uh, yeah, it's a very difficult case to prove. Um, one of the things that I also want to point out to the listeners is like, look, I'll tell you this, like I tell classes that I do presentations that there is no stupid question. Yeah. And we tell that to our detectives too. Yeah. If you don't ask, that's stupid. Yeah. Ask the question. Okay. Um, if I can formulate an answer for you, I will. Mm. Uh, but no question is out, is out of bounds. That's not the first time I've heard you say that. In fact, the last case we did use, I think you do a round table for every homicide investigation, right? Right. So we try to do these roundtables uh, first day, uh, as soon as we start getting you know more leads. We try to do one, at least one a day. Optimally, we like to do two at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. But sometimes the investigation is moving so rapidly, yeah. there is no end of the day. Yeah. Um, but at some point, we will, you know, like I say, herd all the cats back into the, into the box and mm. say, all right, let's sit down and we're going to go around and encourage everybody not only to give uh, their leads, you know, summarize them. Mm. You know, we don't want to hear a book. Just give yeah, me a summary yeah. of it. Mm. Um, and also, do you have a thought? Mm. Anybody, I mean, thinking outside the box in, in, in these murder cases, I mean, that's gold. Yeah. You can't, you know what, that's something I can't teach somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody... And, you know, on a task force like this, there's a generational thing, right? Yeah. So you've got these uh, 20, mid-20 or under 20, and you got these old-timers like me, and everybody has got something of value that could value mm. the other individual, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, the younger ones have an opinion. I mean, I've heard stuff come out of very uh, young detectives. It's just amazing. It's like, Really? That's something I didn't know. Mm. But then they'll look at me or us and go, wow, I didn't I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all have something to learn from each other. Um, and, you know, it's a great experience. Everyone brings something to the table, right? Everybody brings something. Mm. You wouldn't be sitting at that table if we didn't think that you were going to contribute or that you were good enough or smart enough or, or not smart enough to be there. Yeah. You're there for a reason because we think you're the best. Yeah. Now... 
you know, start talking. <laughs> yeah. Occasionally, and we got to laugh. We did. We were just talking about this yesterday. I, uh, I, I've got a couple of my former detectives uh, from the task force working for me now as, as officers. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking about some of the people on the, ta- on the task force. They just came up with these just crazy theories, you know. And, UFO theories. I mean, we never, we never made them feel bad about it. We never insulted mm. them or whatever. But, man, I mean, on the side, we were laughing our asses <laughs> off. Because <laughs> there was just some crazy... Crazy conspiracy Out crap, that you know. It's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, an alien came out of the woods and you know hypnotized and whatever. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> but we'd let them keep talking, you know. Yeah. And it created a little bit of levity, and yeah, you know, it yeah. wasn't made to mock them or make fun of them. But it was just, it, it was, uh, you know, you're, you're in these tough cases. It doesn't hurt every once in a while to get some, you know, laughs into. Oh, I can imagine with the shit that you yeah. have seen in your career. That just, I mean, you've been in the game for like thirty-five plus years now, right? We've gone over about zero point one percent of your entire career during our podcast, and and the stuff that you've seen in that point oh one percent of it is just it's mind-boggling to me. I know it will be to a lot of our listeners as well. So listen, I, I want to just say as well. Thank you very much once again for sharing both of those cases with us. Um, hopefully, we'll see a swing in the right direction on what people decide this particular case is about. Okay. Um, like I said, we'll put the hashtag on Instagram, Twitter. Um, Excellent. Oh, uh, yeah. it's worth mentioning as well. I know that you have also been sharing some of the posts that I've been uh, putting on Facebook. So I think it's time right. to... Tr- Try and drive some some of our audience there. So if you go to www.facebook.com forward slash murder maps and in murder, the, th- the E is a three. Um, you'll be able to see our posts and stuff. I've put up a lot of stuff, um, good news stories and, and stuff like that recently. Good. I know that you like to share the odd good news story. Has anything happened in Round Lake Park yeah. recently? So uh, uh, good deed stories, as I like to refer to them. Mm. Um, we started a program uh, a few months ago, um, so actually several months ago. Uh, we pick up a lot of bicycles uh, that are abandoned, uh, you know, just left and never claimed. Mm. Uh, after 10 days, they become public pro- or our property. Uh, a lot of times you just see these things rust out, go to auction, and somebody buys them for five bucks. For yeah. part, and they're great bicycles, right? Mm. So we sat down and uh, we came up with an idea. What we we reached out to the community and we found somebody who is an expert repair person. Uh, he's actually that's what he does for full time employment. Volunteered his time. We bought him parts. He came in and he's been working on these bicycles. So we've gone into partnership as of today. Uh, a third partner. Uh, one is Nicasa, which is a, a social services agency uh, in Lake County. We're partnering with them and providing. Uh, the ability for people who uh, want bi- who don't have bicycles, may not have cars, they need transportation to get to work, or children uh, who are you know economically impacted, um, and we'll we'll have a system in place to distribute these bicycles. So we're going to do it through the social service agency. We have a local Hispanic resource center called Mano Humano, which is another non for profit. Uh, the Hispanic community, uh, you see 
individuals there that just don't have the means uh, or the ability to afford a car. Yeah. Uh, riding miles to get to their employment. Yeah. And I just spoke to a gentleman today. We are annually involved in a program called uh, Coats for Veterans, where we collect uh, j- jackets and winter apparel uh, for veterans who are, you know, struggling. Okay. And we have a lot of veterans. Uh, and I asked the uh, the officer who's running the program, I go, listen, do you think the veterans would be interested in, and he just, he was ecstatic. He goes, absolutely. Mm. There are so many veterans out there that need transportation mm. uh, to get to and from work. And yeah. so we're doing that as well. Awesome. I really, yeah. really like the sound of that. I'll just recap on that. So can you tell me the, the name of the first organization? I just missed it. Is it- yeah, it's uh, NICASA, NICASA, N-I-C-A-S-A. It's an acronym. Don't ask me what it stands for. My former chief is actually the CEO of it. Uh, great organization. They do social services, everything from uh, drug rehab to family counseling. Okay. Uh, and then there's Mano Humano which uh, actually we started as a police department. My predecessor did 25 some odd years ago, and eventually we turned it over to um, become a private uh, social service agency. Uh, They're their own non-for-profit. And what they do is they deal with the entire immigrant population, primarily Hispanic, but, you know, Polish, uh, no matter what. Oh, right, so from anywhere. Anywhere. They'll offer classes in everything from parenting to English as a second language to citizenship classes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll walk you through the uh, process of becoming a U.S. citizen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've opened up our police station in the last two weeks. They're using our training room now because they've run out of room. <clears throat> and they're, uh, I think it was every Tuesday evening, they have a class on how to deal with diabetes, which is very prevalent in the Hispanic community. Right. So they have, it's a health management class, and they have their own key. We let them have total use of the department. Oh, right. Um, yeah. So in fact, we came in yesterday, we were talking, there was a, uh, uh, a poster with cutouts of organs on it, and, you know, it's part of the class. Uh-huh. But all the organs had sp- Spanish on them. We were trying to guess, well, is that a kidney or yeah, what is that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're, we're in partnership with as many of these groups as possible and hoping to provide them uh, resources uh, yeah. in anything we can. So that's mano, mano. Easier. That obviously, I think that means hand in hand. Um, hand in hand. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. Yeah. And you mentioned last but not least, coats for veterans. Um, veterans. Is, yeah. is this... Is there somewhere we can direct people to, you know, if they've got stuff they want to Yeah, do? actually, uh, I just exchanged uh, emails with the officer who's handling this. And hopefully, uh, I've directed them to a source they could put out uh, an email blast throughout Lake County. Yeah. Uh, once I get that, I'll, I'll either forward it to you or post it up on the site. All right, cool. And we can put it out on social media as well. And yeah. you know, if there's anybody that's local to you and wants to donate stuff, then... We can give them right. direction on where to go and, and what to yeah, do. Yeah, we have uh, we have a, we have coach drives uh, locally too that uh, you know, the the municipality I'm employed by does. And what we do is we have a program, and we'll talk about this later, called Shop with a Cop, okay. where we take uh, kids who are uh, referred over to us by social service agencies um, who really uh, you know either a single parent household. Uh, 
no money to say, you know, this is their only Christmas. Right. We make their Christmas. Yeah. And we'll go over that later on in detail. Yeah, but uh, I think you'll really, really enjoy uh, that uh, that program, too, and what we do for the community. We've, we've done that for, oh, God, over 25 years. I think we've put several thousand kids through it. Awesome. Yeah. Listen, kudos to you for the amount of initiatives and stuff you've started in your local community, man. Like, I can't, I can't believe the stuff you've actually either gotten started or, you know, given help continue, to yeah, and, and continue absolutely. to do. Like, it, it's awesome. And it's even better when it's from the head of the local law enforcement agency as well, you know, because that stuff trickles down, right? You know, if you... if you, Oh, yeah, the it, officers. Yeah, and it's tough. You know what? Look, it's... I get it with the cops. Sometimes they're very... Uh, you know, they interact with the public all the time, but when it comes to doing things out of their comfort zone, well, let me put it this way. Before I had kids, mm. oh my God, if I went to a house and there were kids there, what are these people? <laughs> how, do I, how do I communicate with them? Why are these little them? people running around? <laughs> yeah. Right. And, 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 and since I had kids, I mean, it's just been an absolute joy to deal with these kids mm. and, and know how to interact with them and, and, and feel comfortable talking to them. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, with the younger officers who are single and, you know, whatever, it, it's difficult for them to, to do that. Yeah. Yeah, and we try to, you know, look, you're going to need to do this on calls, too. Uh, and these kids will remember this for the rest of their lives. Absolutely. We actually, interestingly enough, our program has been around so long as Shop with a Cop. We've got uh, parents coming to us telling us, I was in this program no when I was a way. child. Yeah, way. It was shocking. So cool. Like, really? That is yeah. so cool. I love that. Yeah. There's a, uh, I'll just mention real quick, I'll, I'll find out for sure the name um, when we do the next episode, but because it eludes me right now, but I seen it on Instagram a little while ago. There's a little, there's a girl, she must be like 10 or 12. And I think since she was like a toddler, all she's been interested in is police, the, you know, police agencies yeah. from up and down yeah. the country. This is over in the States, right? And so she, <laughs> I was, I was looking at all these police forces that have invited her into the precinct or whatever, and they've given her like, you know, honorary um, detective or, or whatever it might be. And she's got like police badges right. from every precinct you can possibly imagine, every law enforcement agency you can imagine. And I just thought, I mean, hands down, that girl's going to grow up to be a cop, right? She, I mean, if she doesn't, it'll be a, mm -hmm. an absolute mystery as to why. But right. know, that's one extreme. But as you've just said, the kids that you impact in your community, well, you've already impacted some kids because adults come up to you now and t tell you that you've impacted their lives. But, right. you know, so I've said this time and time again to you, in the media, everything is always portrayed terribly and they focus on the bad right. shit and it's horrible. I hate that. Um, it's really, really good to hear that there's, uh, there's law enforcement agencies like yours who are actually having a positive impact on their local communities. Do you know what I mean? So Trying. Trying, you know, um, hey, we're there to serve, uh, and yeah. and it's not just in the capacity of as guardians. So mm. uh, anything we can do. Kudos to you, Chief. Um, all right. Well, listen. Thanks for sharing both those cases and the good news story there. And we will talk again next week, and we will find out was it murder, suicide, or other. Correct. Thanks, Chief. You're welcome. All right. Cool. Uh, that was. That was fun.